When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, a Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details the voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner mary redeemed a fifty thousand dollar cash prize playing chumba casino this year i was only playing for fun so winning this was a dream come true chumba casino is america's number one social casino experience it's serious fun with over 80 casino style games to choose from you too could win life-changing amounts of cash be like mary log on to chumbacasino.com and give them a whirl that's chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary void or prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details the voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner from autosport.com and autosport magazine i'm martin lee this is the autosport podcasts today i'm joined by matt q and jess mcfadden and we'll be analyzing the singapore grand prix and the shambles that followed but that wasn't the biggest race today not by a long way because our friend and colleague luke smith completed the London Marathon today. Just over five hours. We couldn't be more proud raising money for charity. Done it myself in over five hours. Similar time to Luke, funnily enough. Matt, have you ever fancied putting on your trainers for 26.2 miles? Uh, I've not run it before. Uh, my brother has. So, uh, you know, in the competition to be parents' favourite charge, he has that over me. But um, no no real desire. Uh, I just, I, I enjoy obviously the endorphins after. I just find it so tedious. So it's got to be, I've got to be kicking a ball or, 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 or have a racket in my hand to make exercise that bit more fun. But, you know, fair play to Luke. An amazing cause. Really, really uh, inspiring job seeing how hard he's been training. And uh, if I had to might write, might write uh, an autosport runner's ratings for, for the Singapore Grand Prix weekend, uh, Luke would be getting a slam dunk 10, I can assure him of that. And Jess, I, I swear I've seen on your socials, you've you know, you've know put stuff like, oh, just home for a run. You know, what is that? Is that like a little 5k park run or, or are you uh, thinking one day that you might bite off a little more like Luke today and do the, do the full marathon? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, really? um, no, I do. Uh, well, so I got, I was one of those people that got into running in lockdown I wasn't really I wouldn't ever call myself a runner I was a bit like Q in that I prefer sports or actually doing something competitive rather than running I find running quite tedious sometimes but seeing as there was nothing else to do um, my partner and I we took well he he's a keen runner but he's done the London Marathon and he's done more than one marathon um, in his time so he tried to get me into it and I don't, I don't mind it. I do enjoy it, but I'm definitely one of those people where I need to run with other people. Like I can't do it on my own. And I know that you've got a big crowd of people with you for the marathon, but oh my God, I just could not. The, the idea of taking on that long of a run terrifies me. So genuinely what Luke done has done is, is amazing. Um, and obviously for an amazing cause as well, remembering his mum, um, and raising money for Macmillan cancer support is, is, 
awesome um and he should be extremely proud of himself because it's definitely something i can't imagine i would ever do absolutely absolutely and if you check out luke's twitter the best place probably i imagine the, the easiest way for me to explain it's luke smith f1 on twitter most people are or at least you know how to use it luke smith f1 pinned post at the top which is a link through to his uh, just giving page raising money for Macmillan as Jess says and uh, even though it's after the event right now and he smashed his target whatever you can pass their way I know it's a tough times so everything's tight at the minute but um, you really will be helping and it'll be massively appreciated all right here we go then let's get into the Singapore Grand Prix um, business as usual really Leclerc was on pole but he didn't win <laughs> Sergio Perez took the lead before turn one, and he never, ever looked back. Metaphorically, of course, he was looking at his rearview mirrors for large sections of the race as Leclerc piled on the pressure but couldn't eventually beat him. Hamilton shunted into the barriers big time, but somehow... Man, that Mercedes is built tough. Uh, change of front wing, change of uh, tyres, but unfortunately put him out of the uh, podium hunt, which is what he was doing at the time, eventually finishing ninth. Verstappen spent the afternoon coming through the pack. He also locked up massively, attempting a move on Norris, which put the Red Bull to the very back of the pack, fighting back, eventually finishing seventh. And today we should be heaping praise on Perez and talking about nothing else than a fine, fine drive in changeable conditions. Well, very wet conditions at the start talking about ferrari's double podium talking about mclaren's strategy and a big old dose of luck to come home fourth and fifth on both astons in the points stroll sixth vettel eighth but instead somehow we're asking why fans of this sport that we love didn't know the results for well over two hours after the flag the world's fastest sport once again takes longer than any other sport in the world to come to a decision. And there's copious amounts of hard data, but once again, the stewards the stewards making judgment calls based on how well the driver and their team representative argues their case, looking for mitigating circumstances long after the race is finished. Look, it shouldn't be like this. It fosters conspiracy theories about how, you know, they're working out how to both dish out the penalty, because Perez did break the rules, but also not so much that Red Bull get denied. Like, that was what we saw after the race. Um, I'll give you the background, and then we can talk about this. Sergio Perez fell back from the safety car more than the allowed distance, 10 car lengths, on three separate occasions, earning a five-second penalty for the final time that he did it. He finished seven seconds up the road from Leclerc at the flag. Therefore, the result doesn't change. But it's the result that fans had no idea of long after the broadcasters had gone home. And that's ridiculous to treat the fans that way and the sport. Now, uh, here's the actual wording of what happened. Stewards say that Perez dropped back too far on three occasions. The first time, lap 10, on inters, between turns 13 and 14. Uh, He was investigated for that and given a reprimand. The second time it happened, on lap 36... On the slicks, between turns 9 and 10, he was given a warning. The team was given a warning by the race director. The same lap, he did it again after being warned. Between turns 13 and 14, and for that, he was given a five-second penalty. Not at the time, but hours after the race finished. Uh, Let's get into it. You've heard enough of me. Jess... What is going on at the FIA? You're asking the fans that the story isn't over two hours after. You know, Sky had gone off the air, if you're in the UK, or most of the TV broadcasters had stopped stopped reporting because they ran out of broadcast allocation time and we still don't know who's won the race. People find out either through our websites, hopefully, or through social media, who has actually won the race. Now, as it turns out, in this instance, the penalty meant that the race results still stood from the provisional results that we got when the chequered flag dropped. But for me, it's it's a case of why on earth was something like that, which, which happened, as you mentioned. So first incident was lap 10. The last incident was lap 36. So just about just over halfway through the race. Why on earth it took two hours from the chequered flag dropping for the for the result to be made? completely ludicrous. It makes the FIA look like a laughing stock, if I'm honest. People just don't believe that the stewards are in control. They they believe they're being influenced by people by calling them into this. So and this this is something that's that I genuinely find bonkers about Formula One. 
teams and drivers are allowed to plead their case after the fact, even though it's a sporting incident. It's something that a driver did out on track and they're allowed to go to the stewards and stand there and go, please, sir, I did it because it wasn't safe and I wanted to warm my tyres up. Like, yeah, because you wanted a performance advantage over the guy behind you and you didn't want to lose position because the safety car was going too slowly. Now, they will they will plead, oh, it wasn't safe and we could have slid off and crashed. Now, yes, probably that is a factor, but that like the, the fact that drivers and teams are allowed to go into that stewarding room and influence the decision of the stewards... I think makes the FIA and the stewards look weak because if you look at most other sports the referee's decision is final and you can plead all you want in fact you know in in football if you plead too hard you get sent off right like you can't interfere with the referee and we all know that the referee doesn't always get it right but the point is that their decision is final and that that adds an element of respect and you would hope an element of Um, stability and consistency when stuff like this happens it infuriates me because I cannot see why it took two hours to come to that decision especially you know Martin you 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 questioned you know three strikes and you're out I actually don't mind that it's another reason why they use the black and white flags for things like track limits it's a way of the FIA going do that again and you will get a penalty so you're on your final warning the fact that the race director warned Perez don't do that again and he did it in the within the same safety car period penalty doesn't matter does not matter oh please sir like can I please come over and 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 plead my case it should just not be a thing it should it just should not be a thing it's it's something that I think is um a headache that's rolled over through like it's, it's an archaic thing it's the way we used to do things the stewards have telemetry on boards like basically every single piece of data point that you could ever want plus every single piece of data point that you could bring up from any race that's ever been previously to have precedent why on earth do they then need to wait after the race when we've had all this pomp and circumstance all the podium celebrations mexican anthems been played red bull of like sprayed champagne on the on the podium and yet we're still like oh but oh it might be might be charles it makes the fans upset. It causes a lot of confusion. It opens them up for questions around whether they are actually being fair or whether they're being influenced by teams. And I think especially when we had something, and I hate the fact that we keep bringing it up, but I think it is a really important point in our history that we've all decided this cannot happen again. But when we have things like Abu Dhabi 2021, or in fact, the entire 2021 season, when there was this argument that the race director was being influenced by team principles in terms of the way that they were policing the Grand Prix. Well, that was essentially your point on Twitter earlier that I saw that had a massive response and loads of people, you know, replying to that because you were saying what you don't like, not so much that he got the penalty, but it's this kind of, courtroom style, whoever makes the best argument, a bit like after Abu Dhabi as well, and there's lawyers getting involved. It was that element that you found, you know, particularly uh, annoying. Why is that? I've been to an FIA seminar on how they Mm. steward, and I've mentioned this probably a couple of times on this podcast, but the fact that I have to keep mentioning it as an example blows my mind. But I went and they did, they were doing these mock stewarding situations and it is it's like oh yes but what about this or you know what about that and they are genuinely like debating the results of things and then how to then frame it and write it and I think one of our colleagues on uh, motorsport.com raised the fact that actually if you read the findings uh, uh, and the 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 document that that says you know Paris has got the penalty there's conflicting information in it (laughs) I think the part you you might say that that in document 56 it says Although the track was wet in parts, we do not accept that the conditions were such as to make it impossible and dangerous for Perez to maintain the required gap length. Nevertheless, we took into account the wet conditions. Like, we don't accept it was wet, but we've taken it into account and we let him well, off the first time. It's it, like, it, it does, it, in a strange way, it does make sense. Because what it's saying is saying, we as the stewards say, no, that the, 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 the circumstances were fine. Um, which maybe you could refute by the fact that they didn't enable DRS until the very dying stages of the race. So surely if you didn't enable DRS, the FIA deems it to be a situation where crashes could happen. So you're contradicting yourself, FIA. Um, but so what they're saying is that 
the, the stewards don't accept that it was a dangerous situation, but they do acknowledge that maybe as the driver, you did see it that way. Why do you think that the rules sh- uh, should be a grey zone? Because it it's a be. bit like when it not when we see it, when when we when it comes up on screen, driver X Y Z is being investigated for speeding in the pit lane. You know, when you watch that, you're like, oh, my friend, you are getting a, t- a time penalty. That is a slam dunk. Every time you see so-and-so is being investigated for speeding in the pit lane, in about five minutes' time, we're going to see that flash up time penalty. All of the cars, you know, in almost every form of motorsport, have transponders in from the very junior categories. You would presume there's one of those in the safety car. This whole 10 car lengths thing also bothers me. What does that well, mean? That's, that's, a, measurement, is, is formula- that's a measurement of distance. So I, I've, yeah, got, but, I've got no problem with formula- that. Formula One is all about accuracy and, you know, t- pit stops 2.3 or 2.4 seconds pit stop. No, but if you give, think it about, a, like, a, give it a number. Give it a number. No, I disagree. I disagree. 40 metres I disagree because actually when you're, in a, when you're in a Formula One car, probably a 10, 10 car length is probably something that's more measurable than 100 metres. First time you break that, it should just be, oh, well, that's, that's, also, that's not the problem here, Martin, because as you say, they do have transponders in every car. They can measure the gaps. They can see if Perez wasn't <clears> within the 10 car length. The measurement is a moot point. The point is that they do have that telemetry and they can see instantaneously whether or not Immediately. Perez it doesn't was take two within hours 10, to get that. 10 car lengths or not. Now, but again, like they, the, the whole reason why we don't have such a VAR system as football is because what we do say is that there is margin of error. Right. There is a kind of like, oh, OK, so if he if he dropped out of the, the 10 car lengths for, say, like a second, he's probably not going to get penalised, even though based on your point, Martin, if he dropped he should get penalised because we have humans there that then go, that was a dangerous move or that wasn't a dangerous move, right? Which 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 works in our favour and, and, and out of favour as well. Even with all that information, even with all that data, even with all that telemetry, they still then want that driver to go and explain themselves once the chequered flag and the podium celebration is over, which is the problem. The whole stewarding process needs an, a complete and utter overhaul. The problem that we've got right now is that the FIA's reputation is consistently being questioned. As the governing body, you cannot afford that. You you cannot have that, especially after what we had last year. And they've been so hard on certain well, things. And then, then, then this, which actually fundamentally changes the race. Screw Hamilton's nose stud. Like, we're, t- we're talking about... <laughs> The results of Grand Prix here, like, go get hard on this. Don't get hard on a flipping nose stud. Like this, that mm. is that is what blows Where's, my mind. I I wrote a column on the FIA and how they really didn't handle Austria well, and they actually tweeted once during that weekend, and it's been forgotten about since that the, this VAR thing is up and running. It's a it's a room in Geneva, and basically its purpose is, and I think the the direct quote is to give an extra data stream, and that's it. So it's not here to influence, <laughs> but. I mean, that's that's ludicrous, but I, I want to go back and actually, Martin, forgive me for doing this, but I don't think you read out the most important thing in the statement uh, from the FIA, go which on. is, we, nevertheless, we took into account the wet conditions and the difficulties highlighted by press as mitigatory circumstances, obviously derivation of the word mitigation. <laughs> and so, but so the reason it's so frustrating is, like, okay, I understand Eduardo Freitas and Stewart's uh, FIA being French, English isn't their first language, and I'm a journalist, so I'm particularly precious about the way certain languages use, but they're saying mitigating circumstances, that it is serious, this is exceptional. And then the previous paragraph is we do not accept the conditions were serious or made it, you know, an exception that Perez couldn't control. So it's one or it's one or the other. And, and you know, to go back to the stewards now, what we're expecting is it's nothing new that, you know, we've had now had in the past 18 races, we've had three race directors and, and two operating. This, this is what you get. You get you get inconsistency, and then and then you look at this specific infringement, right? Which is the ten safety car lengths. So it was, uh, I think, uh, Matteo Bonotto said, "Oh, we fully expect it to be a five second penalty because Antonio Giovinazzi got one in 2020, which is fine." But then Vettel in Canada didn't get one for the same infringement because I think they said, "Oh, he he closed up by the end of the safety car period." That was fine, and basically loads of other drivers did it. Yeah, no, that, that was exactly it, wasn't it? Back in June, uh, the FIA said, "We've looked at the evidence." We looked at the GPS, Vettel under the safety car fell back more than 10 car lengths from the car he was following, but then reclosed the gap and maintained the 10 car lengths until the race resumed. The stewards also noted that there were other drivers who did the same thing 
Therefore, no harm, no foul. This is me being a bit flippant, but going, oh, there's, that means there's a lot of work to assess who's done what, so let's leave it. And that's not a penalty. But if it's just a slam dunk codified rule, then it's you fall foul of it or you don't. So if Perez gets a penalty, fine, but then Vettel has to. And all the other drivers, you you, you, you go on. It's like, I, you know, I, I'm a massive football fan that... I'll never complain about VAR taking three and a half minutes to decide a penalty if it's two and a half hours for a race for something that is a rule break or it's not. It's not like, you know, doing those 2D lines on a 3D shape to find out if someone's shoelace is offside. This is a lot more clear cut. (laughs) And when you're you're imposing to race stewards, what do you expect? Of course, you're going to get inconsistency. That's blatant. But I, I I just cannot fathom it. And I think... You know, maybe I'm adding one and one and getting five here, whatever. But there's look at context. The FIA, yes, we we all and the wider audience of F1 thinks are a bit of a shambles at the minute for how they've come back after Abu Dhabi and whatever. It's also not just us. It's their relationship with F1, which is an all time low. And if I could take one point. The F1 calendar for 2023, F1's worked hard, you know, it's got Vegas and Saudi Arabia and Qatar. Whether you agree with any of those races, it's F1 success story. The FIA announced it with the the 2023 calendar. They jumped the gun. So if you look actually on the timestamps on Twitter, it took F1 92 minutes uh, to get a statement from Domenicali to announce their own calendar because the FIA jumped it jump the gun because the relationship is so poor now there's infighting and they're going around each other just to try and one-up each other and, and look better in the public domain so you've got that so you know this is we're at a point where it's like folk a fees spec war between them and that's not hyperbole mm-hmm. i think you know if you were to stick a, a you know a, a neat whiskey down stefano domenicali's throat and let him go off the record the, the stuff he would say <laughs> at the minute is 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 super heated so i you know this is doing nothing to help the public perception or what is going on between you know the comms department of the FI and F1 and again without without going too far but whether it's you know okay there's been a new change of president since you know since Jean Todd into MBS but the outright defence of their own decision making and I understand as well like like Jess has said we don't have team principals barking on the radio but what Massey like him or hate him what he used to do after every single race no matter the pressure he used to front up to media and go I will now talk through my decision process or I'll um, speak on behalf of, of the stewards who obviously you know got different different things there the FIA don't do that anymore and you can argue that's good it's less of a distraction but now there's just there's just no transparency so we can sit here and I can go up an octave because I'm a bit angry about it and <laughs> ranting and um, whatever but we don't have their right to reply we get you know we, we don't we don't have that transparent process and so when you've got the president and and his tact and the, the statements he's been given to the media and he isn't particularly popular. We as fans and commentators on sport, then the teams or your investors, your commercial partners, whatever, like where where's the faith coming from? Because it's, it's really baffling. The process is slow and inconsistent. Okay, fine. Take two and a half hours. Abide by the letter of the law, which you can argue they have done in this case. But then what does that say you know the 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 aforementioned case study of um of Vettel or the fact that they contradict themselves in their own definition and outcome which is fantastic or if you're going to be inconsistent at least be quick so so that Martin Brundle and Paul DeResta can argue both sides of it on Sky Sports F1 we've had neither this is this mm. is the worst outcome and it, it's just like it, the FIA okay you you've had a new boss now and you've had time to settle in but it would be again it'd be fine if okay the decision making and the outcomes were bad but now you've got this like school ground politics where oh I'm going to announce your calendar an hour and a half before you which is unplanned but we get a leg up like it's just what Zach Brown would call it's a horrible phrase but the optics of it all is is really bad (laughs) talking of optics what could the FIA not see that we all could because they needed Sergio Perez to go to the stewards room and they needed him to say I'll remember it was wet today, so I couldn't stick to the rules. They knew it was wet. Just look out of the window. It was so wet, we couldn't even go motor racing for an hour, and we were delayed. And don't get me started on that, by the way. You're shipping wet tyres around the world multiple times a year. You don't even use them because you wouldn't start the race because it was a little bit too wet. Don't get me started. Anyway, safety, I understand that. But still, what's the point of a wet tyre? So the FIA is saying, well, that's a good point that he made. Mm, Yeah, we'll let him off the first two times because after all, he has just told us it was indeed wet. They didn't need him to tell them that. Anyway, uh, Jess, where do we go from here? 
I don't think there's ever been a season where we haven't spoken about how crazy this process is and the fact that it it shouldn't be this way because it it hurts f1 f1 has done such a massive massive job in recent years of opening the sport up increasing its popularity it will be occasions like this and okay you know maybe this one was okay because the outcome was still the same as the race results so it wasn't so controversial there has been and there will be other times where it does make a massive difference and we will lose fans over this. They're fed up. They're tired of constantly hearing that the FIA is unable to police the sport properly or isn't strong enough to do the right thing, I guess. That's the massive issue. The FIA have got a massive, massive image crisis going on right now that that MBS and, and the, the race directors currently have inherited from, from last year, yes, but then they have to address it. They cannot afford these instances piling up on top of what happened last year and expect to survive it. It will be what F1 use to stick the knife in. If they want to survive it, then I think I genuinely think this is something that has to change. It's just the, the, the language is archaic, the processes are archaic, the um, length of time it takes. I mean, we all we all joke that if a, if a decision comes in quickly, it's because they want to go have dinner. And I know that's a joke, but genuinely, like, why why does it take this long? It it just it just it just genuinely shouldn't. I think someone someone on Twitter um, sent me something that was like uh, an analogy is cricket is a sport that takes days to complete, but decisions are made in five seconds. And F one is the fastest sport, and decisions take two hours it's just bonkers it shouldn't happen it affects everything it affects the racing it affects the reporting it has to change it has to i genuinely think it needs a radical overhaul in terms of how we police this sport for me it's it's seeing all those comments online from people saying well they had to take that long because they had to work out a way to both punish red bull for breaking the rules which they did but also not changing the result. That. We can't have that. But, we, and, and you can't... Now, look, in sport, there will always be... can't have that. My side's, better, my side's better than your side. And the thing that, look, I think we all hated about Abu Dhabi was how toxic it made that. That has filtered through to things like fan behaviour this year and the way that drivers have been treated on social media. Nicholas Latifi talked about it when he announced him leaving Formula One this year, still making reference to the way that he got treated on social media. The FIA actually make that worse because of taking over two hours to come to a decision which makes people think, what are you doing and for this, two this, hours? This is, this is kind of linked to Q's point earlier of, of they need transparency, so they need, they need a right to reply. And I also don't think, you know, as much as we're criticising it, there is an element of it being maybe slightly unfair, but that's to, again to do with the fact that the way that these decisions are communicated, we don't understand fully what's going on, and and the, the FIA don't seem to want to do anything about it. That the whole race director radio was meant to be a step in that direction to to give you an understanding of what's going on behind the scenes, but obviously that fell on its face and made them look worse than they actually should. But in a way, good because we do need to understand. What the heck is going on? Why is it taking you two hours? What are you writing things? Are you like what? What? How on earth? Like, are you pouring over data? Because I flipping hope so. Is it FIA lawyers going like, okay, this we are legally watertight on this set of words? Like, is it that? Is it just running but, it past I mean, the legal? Way, the because- way actually again, like when I was in the seminar, the way that they wrote the documents took the longest time. Surely the most important part is the result. But they would honestly, oh no, we can't phrase it like that because that might get that might open us up to this kind of criticism. And this has all to do with control. Oh, at the end of the day, who is in control? Because if it's the teams, then we're all screwed. <laughs> Genuinely, because the teams are always going to operate to the, to their own benefit. And and of course, why wouldn't they? If they are not, if that's the FIA the, are not job. in control, like we might as well all go home. Formula One is full of people that look back. And, and everything was better than what it is today. And honestly, Formula One is amazing today. When you go back at the 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 dictatorship that, that ran it in previous eras, you know, teams couldn't use social media in, in the pit and paddock. So be honest, what's happened with Formula One, call it Netflix or the, the, the drive to survive effect, whatever you want to call it. I think genuinely 
the sport is in such an amazing place that I don't want to be like that. But there is part of me. There's generally part of me that's like when Bernie and Max were those figures at the top of the sport. Like, yes, it felt a little bit like it was their own personal puppet show and they would pull the strings to make the storylines and, and all that kind of stuff. And like this could go on for a long time. Matt, I'll give the final word to Matt. To go back to to the comparison you made to Abu Dhabi, which is absolutely fair, that bitterness came and yes, obviously it's a partisanship between Hamilton and Verstappen's fans, but so much of it emanated from the fact that the rules were incorrectly applied. If there is absolute consistency, you know, which is what we have when, okay, it can seem harsh, but when someone is, you know, half a mile an hour over the pit lane speed limit, you know you're bang to rights and get a penalty. It's exactly what we saw in qualifying. Red Bull knew the rule was that if they couldn't provide the one litre full sample, they'd be disqualified. So it's better to stop and take the eighth place because that is black and white and enshrined in law. And that is the same with this penalty here. You know, while Jess was speaking there and I was on my phone, not because I'm rude, but it's because I've Googled the length of an AMG uh, black series and I've timed it by 10. So I now know what the 10 car oh. lengths is. And the fact that we at home now have that snazzy new graphic where you have like the elongated chevrons and you, you see the, the, the gap in lifetime. If that data is available Love to that. us, you have to know that it's available to the FIA. Therefore, you can work it out and it's banged to rights. That's fine. I, I did that, you know, okay, again, it's a bit flipping, but I, I did that within the space of a minute. They this This is an incident that happens 10 laps before the end of the race and then we needed another two and a half hours after that it's just if there's a difficult decision they make it hard for themselves and when there isn't this transparency it has to be crisp it has to be clear it has to be consistent if you have two race directors you're never going to get to that point but then the rest of it there needs to be an explanation but as long as there's an understanding some kind of sense of fronting up even like okay we've had you know the pounds been tanked but at least at least Liz Truss was even on Laura Koonsberg this morning we need some sort of interaction so there's a justification and and if if then Eduardo Freitas wants to go on all the BBC local radio stations and and come across appallingly that's fine but at least there's some justification for it whereas here you know we we don't even know his insight perhaps he's sat in a Singapore hotel room going god I wish I could say this but I can't because of this you know Michael Massey we all know signed an NDA I bet he would love to say and it's just that sort of you know those, those tight lips it's just it makes it it makes it so frustrating so frustrating and and then we're left here to speculate the FIA don't have the right to reply that they're allowed to and and so you know perhaps perhaps we're all wrong and there's something really obvious that we've all missed but if there's not that two-way street we don't know Okay, now we'd love to hear from you. The best place to find Jess and Matt and Autosport is if you want to contact us instantly and talk, feed into the conversation on our socials. We are at Autosport on places like Twitter and Instagram and Jess is uh, Jess at, at Jess Muck F1. Uh, Matt as well. You can, if you want to buy the magazine, you'll find his email address on the pieces he writes. Send him an email if you like to do that. You can also email this podcast um, and give us your thoughts. Like you've heard from the three of us now. And it's just three different opinions. Some of our opinions are quite similar. Um, yours may be the same or differently, but we want to hear from you because then that can feed into the conversation as well. If we get enough emails over the next uh, couple of days, maybe we'll do a whole podcast with our team of experts reacting to what you say or questions. Uh, email address is podcast at autosport.com. That is podcast at autosport.com. Uh, I am on Twitter, Mart Lee, M-A-R-T-L-E-E, if you want to get in touch with me. Right, stick around. We'll take a quick break. And then when we come back, we'll tell you the story of what actually happened this afternoon and uh, heap the praise on on those that should. Uh, and actually, you know, drivers like Hamilton and Verstappen could have finished a lot higher, but that damage was self-inflicted today. So we'll get into all of that and more. Stick around. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, welcome back to the podcast. As I mentioned at the start of the podcast, over half an hour ago, uh, the story of 2022 is Leclerc starts on pole, but couldn't convert it to a win. He started alongside Sergio Perez on the grid. Behind him, Lewis Hamilton in third, uh, Carlos Sainz in fourth, and Max Verstappen back eighth on the grid because of that qualifying disaster yesterday where they had to run for the whole of Q3 uh, because of the changeable conditions. Nobody was coming in and refueling, and, well, Red Bull just didn't put enough fuel in for the whole session. Very difficult to work it out because, of course, you're doing hot laps and then cool down and recharging batteries and stuff. But anyway, Max Verstappen making his feelings very clear, really going at the team very hard, which he thought was was a fair criticism. He says it goes both ways, by the way. But back to race winner Sergio Perez, even though he had to then fight for his life for the next two hours on a timed Grand Prix in the end, it was getting into turn one first, where he did the business, got off the line well. Second phase of the start is when he really got ahead of Charles Leclerc, and he led from there. And it was, uh, let me get this right, it was three VSCs and two safety cars, or was it the other way around? He did a fantastic job today. Uh, People call him the street circuit specialist. Not sure about that, but certainly he had an amazing, amazing day today. Matt, how uh, impressed were you with Perez's win today? Uh, I was very impressed, but I would have to say it's about time. He's had this sort of three-month protracted run now of poor form. If you wind back to, as you say, Martin, his his sort of street circuit expertise, he he out-qualified Verstappen in... uh, in Azerbaijan, Saudi Arabia took pole of both those and of course one one in Monaco but particularly as this RB18 has been developed it's really come to suit Verstappen's driving style who can blame Red Bull for, for chasing that and Perez has been turning in you know the kind of performances that got Albon, Gasly, Kvyat even demoted back to Alfatori or Toro Rosso uh, then was so Perez needed this and he sort of fulfilled his unwritten job description isn't it which is if anything happens to Verstappen you pick up the pieces and he's done that perfectly and and done it against um, Verstappen's biggest rival Leclerc managed it well obviously it's, it's not you know yes he he did the the heavy lifting early on by nipping past Leclerc but he did that with a great start uh, managed it really well and and to sort of throw more praise I, mean, I suppose there are a couple of things you look at one when Leclerc was at his raciest Perez survived that pulled a gap and then kept going dropping the Ferrari out of DRS range and then having a 7 and uh, 7.6 second cushion over the line so he could easily survive a penalty and as well this came on a day when Verstappen got it wrong when Leclerc hit the wall Albon had a comedy shunt you know there was very treacherous conditions Perez really I think occasional lock up he didn't put a foot wrong so yeah mega drive Uh, but he's made a rod for his own back now we need to we need to see him do this at uh, a normal racetrack Suzuka in a week's time and show a sustained bit of momentum because we know the championship is, is is all but Verstappen's now. We know Ferrari aren't infallible. So we need a fight from somewhere. So maybe Perez can offer offer that and create a few headaches for Red Bull over the rest of the season. But yep, today, brilliant job. He is two points behind Leclerc in the World Championship. 2-3-7 plays 2-3-5. George Russell back on 2-0-3. So you know, second place is genuinely up for grabs today. It's exactly the reason why Red Bull signed him and have re-signed him, why he's in that seat, because he is a quick driver and he can deliver and he is frustrating when he's not delivering and goes a bit anonymous. Yeah, I think I'd probably echo a lot of what Q's just just said, but it, it is kind of when you're sitting there and saying... Or you know you're hearing from Christian Horner that that was his greatest drive. It was it was impressive, but if that's going to be your greatest drive, for me it was pretty memorable. It, he he did he did what he had to do. He um, took the opportunities where he needed to take them. I mean that that last phase actually was was really quite interesting when he just you know went full pelt and built up that much of a gap when he had been being challenged by Leclerc. I mean, I think a mixture of, of Leclerc dropping off and and him knowing that he was going to need to build up a gap and kind of getting permission from the team to push a little harder than maybe he wanted to. We know he's a street circuit king. He's always done really well around street circuits. It seems to be his, his bag. In terms of that being called your greatest ever race, hmm, I think, again, maybe that is just in terms of being realistic about the kind of driver that Perez is. Will we see a repeat of that? I mean, we are going into races that might suit him better, but I'm I don't I don't believe we I think this might be 
um, you know, one of the best performances we see from him of the season. So, yeah, I mean, again, like I'm sure he's going to get a decent driver rating. He luckily escaped some a harsher penalty. It was a good race for him. He did everything he needed to do. He brought home a win. He kept the win. Great job from Checo. If you think about some of Perez's drives, they have been in mixed conditions, obviously, Malaysia 2012. But the reason, you know, I was saying earlier that he's fallen away from Verstappen so much is as the RB18 has got lighter and under the weight limit, Red Bull can choose now where to position the ballast to keep it at that minimum seven, nine, eight kilos. And they put it towards the front because Verstappen hates understeer and is more than happy to play around with oversteer as long as he can catch it. And that's really hurt Perez. So I wonder whether conditions now, so warning to uh, street track, low grip, at the end of the race in particular when he's gapping Leclerc, all of those things are where the car is light and it's sort of on the surface rather than in the surface. So whether that introduced a bit more understeer, general lack of grip, you know, whether it is is the standing water or is the ruined intermediates at the end of the stint. I wonder how much that played an advantage that he was better at managing low grip because the front end was washing wide and that was similar for everyone. But but Perez is generally, that's a, a driving style that suits him. So I'd like to, uh, when, I'm, uh, when I'm sort of covering a Japanese Grand Prix, I'd like to corroborate that. But I do wonder how much that came into it sort of... Uh, this is mm. when he when he was sliding wide. He's good. He's a bit more patient on the throttle at managing that. We didn't see him sliding wide like we did with Leclerc and Verstappen when they were stabbing at the throttle to get out of the corners. We saw Perez be really, really patient. And I think maybe that's just something he's, he's a bit better suited towards. And we, we saw that at its best this weekend. I was surprised at that last stint where Leclerc couldn't keep up with him. And so I'm looking forward to reading some of that coverage analysis and autosport tomorrow when you guys really do pick into the times and the details the you know the tyres and all of those exact reasons why because Leclerc had pushed him through the race or at least at least kept pace with him went through periods where he had DRS but Singapore as much of these news this generation of cars has done wonders for following and overtaking Singapore did deliver really what Singapore does which is generally a bit of a train. Uh, even Charles Leclerc said he was a surprise that Sergio Perez could pull so far clear in the closing stages. Um, once they had got out of that DRS zone, Perez was was off and away, and Leclerc just had nothing at all in response. Um, and as as Matt says, like over seven seconds behind when when Perez was potentially facing a five second penalty, and they said like stay within five seconds because of what we'd seen up until that point. I thought I was thinking at that time in in the race. Well, that's that's kind of a no brainer. He'll do that, and then if there is a five second, which let's hope there's not, Leclerc will inherit the win. I didn't see a seven second margin coming, but even Leclerc said he was uh, he was really surprised at the difference of how the cars performed in those stints. Jess, no, I was going to comment on driving style. I'm not out here to to criticise Max Verstappen because we've seen how just how dominant he has been across this entire season, and he will be champion as we've said <laughs> a matter of of when not if um, and it could even be next time out in Japan but something I noticed was there was a few team mishaps this weekend which he was very vocal about um, in criticizing where the team had made mistakes and made wrong judgment calls he was extremely frustrated this entire weekend uh, he, he I, one thing I, I wondered was his his driving style is very very aggressive and you can see he's pushing that Red Bull onto its absolute limit, which you know, we do want to see. And it does make him great in a, a lot of tracks. But it tends to be these kind of narrower, twistier tracks where he gets himself into uh, a little bit more trouble that, that kind of doesn't help himself. So he can... He, he can you know, we've, we saw him having to control some pretty sketchy slides um, in qualifying. He obviously had the slight lockup that we saw today and he made a mistake. And we don't usually see Verstappen make mistakes apart from, I would argue, when we are on these tracks where you maybe just need to be a bit more pared back, a little less aggressive, a little less angry. And I think Perez has that ability to just finesse the car around a circuit like this which I think is why he is so good at street tracks we also know that he's an absolute tyre whisperer so again like maybe the team seeing that the penalty was probably coming giving him the um the ability or the 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 kind of um what else what I'm looking for like enough in reserve he had enough tyre well yeah they left. gave him permission permission was the word I was looking oh, okay, for everybody okay, yeah. uh, they gave him permission to push 
um, because they knew that they needed to build that gap. So I think maybe this was a case of, and I'm not, yeah, again, I'm not criticizing Max. We clearly saw that had he finished that final lap before he was asked to pull in, he would have got pole position and we probably would have a completely different uh, story and race to talk about today. But it, it is those coupled with those mistakes there were a few ca- occasions where max was maybe a little bit too aggressive for a street track like singapore and we saw it um in saudi arabia when he was about to set that absolute blinder of a qualifying lap and then shunted it into the wall max operates on the edge of what is possible and the limit of grip <laughs> um and that's brilliant like we we love watching that but when it goes wrong it kind of it kind of shows you up and it, it, it maybe it's that adaptation that you need in terms of your driving style to to survive a track like like singapore max was driving like he needed every single point max can walk his way to the title this year he's got enough races left and a massive points advantage and in the interviews afterwards when they were uh, saying like, oh you managed to get vettel you know and hamilton right at you know right at the end does that feel good he's like no it feels terrible it's an awful result for the team and he's really negative and all he's got to do is walk it home but he didn't massive lock up trying to overtake Lando Norris and uh, he first of all he started really poorly and he blamed anti-stall for his poor start he was lining up eighth because of yesterday's quality really disaster from the team of having to stop him on a lap that when you look at the side-by-sides with him and the pole sitter Leclerc that was a pole lap that he was on and the team pulled him and stopped and said well we wouldn't have a litre of fuel left so he was annoyed yesterday left the circuit early to go back to his hotel room and just kind of clear clear his head and then the next time he's back in the car an awful start started eighth was 12th after the first turn because of anti-stall uh, and then would spend the rest of the race fighting back through the pack. But that was the like the big one, was that massive lockup on Lando on lap 40. Uh, and, and he just blamed the car going light. He went offline, it was bumpy. And Max says the minute the, the front tyres came off the ground, like, I didn't think he needed to race like that today. But as Jess has just said, like that's Max. And that's why we love him. And he's 100% committed. But it's not like his first world championship, so he's got one in the bag already. A performance stuck between two Verstappen performances today, if, if that makes sense. So allow me to sort of add some clarity to it. And you come, you know, this is a, the race after Monza, after after Spa, where he's made some amazing progress. But Spa was after Pierre Gasly started from the pit lane. Uh, Verstappen uh, took 12 laps to go from 13th to 1st. Uh, came from 7th to 1st in Monza and just this mesmeric um, recovery really and that's what he was doing after his after he fluffed the start and got anti-still you know Singapore is a track where blah blah, blah you can't overtake and well, Verstappen was doing it really really neatly without uh, without DRS obviously when he was on into tyres you know the drive he was getting on uh, Magnussen out the corners and the way he was picking off um, the Alpines and stuff was it was really really neat and then I suppose what you do is you get behind Norris and then you need Monaco spec Verstappen or Austria spec Verstappen where you go we've we've made good progress here but you know we're we're not going to get the win second place is enough um or or in Austria whereas you know Leclerc's uh, overtaken me three times he's in a faster car I just I just don't make this difficult for him I don't risk losing the points but I suppose we are at a different point in the championship now aren't we it's not like back in Monaco or back in Austria to a lesser extent where Ferrari's hopes were really dying out but particularly in Monaco it was you know consolidated championship um and doing well, but we need to blunt the Ferrari attack as much as possible. So, so uh, I, I don't need to go for the outright victory. I suppose he's much further down now, and I know um, his rival Hamilton says I don't give a, 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 a monkeys about records. But obviously, Verstappen five wins in a row was chasing sixth, and then seventh in Japan would have taken him uh, level with Vettel's consecutive win ratio. So I don't know how much of that was playing a part, but obviously. With how the narrative has shifted, maybe he wanted the headline results. I don't know, but that that was the point to go right. Let's let's revert to this spec, Verstappen. After uh, and and go, we don't need another uh, a performance that quite hits the dizzying heights of of, of Spa and Monza. So uh, I remember when Red Bull. Uh, I think we got to got to um, Imola. 
And Red Bull had had like a clumsy pit stop or a dodgy bit of strategy at every race so far, but it still won. And a little perverse part of me thought, it's actually, I really want to see him win by like 30 seconds just to prove how, <laughs> how brilliant that car and driver and team combination is. Do you actually just want to see Verstappen win every race from the end of season now, you know, in our lifetime, set those unbeatable records? Uh, or was it nice to show that he's human and, and with Hamilton biffing it into the barriers, just have a reminder of how, how difficult it is. So I suppose where you sit on the fence, but yeah, maybe Verstappen could have just checked it a little bit um, when, when he came on the back of that McLaren. I do find mm. it fascinating. Hamilton isn't in the championship fight at all. And interestingly, he did a, a really interesting interview with Naomi Schiff for Sky Sports um, about heritage. And he said on that, that he actually feels the happiest in his life ever, even though he's not winning, which is quite crazy. But I think that also plays into my point, which is how opposite those two drivers are in terms of their approach to failure, mistakes. Um, because we even heard today, I mean, it was a little maybe micro example, but um, Hamilton's in the wall and he, he's obviously apologising for making the mistake. He knows it's his mistake. And Bono is like softly, softly like, don't worry, mate, we're still in this. Like, you know, we can still do it. Whereas Verstappen is very much cut and dry in terms of that was bullshit. That was a mistake. And we need to freaking come back and make sure that we never do that again. Like, but their, their approaches are so polar opposite from each other. And yet they're still amazing drivers in, in, for different reasons. And I, I found that fascinating in terms of just just how they approach mistakes and failure. Interesting you say that, Jess, about the psychology of it, because with Vettel in the interviews afterwards as well, they were asking him like, oh, hey, you know, it's a double points finish for Aston Martin. You came home eighth and, you know, it's the last time you'll go around Singapore. And he was like, yeah, but I'm not really here to finish eighth. It was a, it was a great day for Aston Martin and uh, even better for Lance Stroll coming home um, sixth and keeping out of trouble. Great drive for him, great drive for Vettel. And again, multiple world champion was a bit like, well, I'm not here to finish eighth. And uh, and Lewis Hamilton saying that uh, he won't dwell on his mistake and he'll move on from it. He was in fourth chasing down Carlos Sainz. Frustrated or not, I don't know. That was a big, big shunt, wasn't it? Now, I think he's lucky because he went in at, you know, at, at sort of 180 degrees. It was straight into the tech pro in that, yes, it wiped out his front wing, but I think any more angle on that and it spins him around and it breaks some suspension parts or something on the car. Well, but he, he, said, he, said that, in. he said that he didn't even notice any car performance change until at, at least a few corners a in. Impact. He said, no, I didn't feel like the car felt normal until then obviously the end plate was, was hanging off and, and Verstappen reported him to the FIA for having a dangerous <laughs> car, which was his second time of yes. calling it into the FIA because yeah. he did the exact same thing with Magnussen, which I did find quite funny. Um, oh, sir, sir. His end plate's yeah, hanging his, off. His Call his him in. Hanging off. Get him out my I know, way. I did, I, that was funny. I felt for Kevin Magnussen. Um, he did come home 12th in the end, but once again, he gets uh, the black and orange flag to say, right, come in. Uh, bits of your car are falling off. Enormously unlucky. And I don't think it was. Obviously, Hamilton's front wing was in much worse condition than Magnussen's. It was sparking away down the straights when the downforce picks up. Uh, way more than K-Mag. But um, either way, uh, Lewis did come in, change his front wing, finished in ninth um, in the end. So he picks up two points. Some of the chatter before the race along the lines of, oh, you know, if he gets a, if he gets a good start here, it's not a long drag down to turn one, but if, if Lewis aces the start, he's on for a win. Coming home ninth, I think it's disappointing. Um, Lewis was pragmatic about it at the end. I think the team obviously disappointed because George Russell was the final classified finisher in 14th. Right, Carlos Sainz came home third, double podium for Ferrari, but Sainz seemed to have so little pace compared to his teammate. Um, what was your reading of Sainz's race today? I think he's had a good run of form, sort of Paul Ricard onwards, where the races between him and Ferrari have been scrappy, but the pace has been good. It's, you know, within half a tenth of Leclerc other than, uh, as opposed to the three tenths it was in, in Bahrain or Saudi Arabia, but much more sort of to that form uh, was he this weekend, uh, especially sort of the opening, the opening stint. I think it was even five laps. He, he had already dropped, you know, three, three seconds back and, and sort of never really had it. Not his prerogative to, to get out of the way of Hamilton, but Hamilton in, in the Mercedes that uh, was sound, but not remarkable. He was, he was complaining that, you know, signs is a, a, effectively a rolling roadblock. So, so not great. 
in, in, in that respect, in terms of the pace, in terms of the times, in terms of the, the tyre management necessarily, in terms of how he brought the tyres up to temperature and how he managed his stints. But then again, if I throw Perez for doing the adequate job of Verstappen's out the window, he brings home the win. If Leclerc is your tacit team leader, your number one driver, Sainz has come home one car by, or directly behind him, which is which is what you need. But again, I think on another day, what what is he? He was, a, he was another uh, eight seconds behind Leclerc. Uh, so in another day, there's five cars in that gap and he, he gets a bit embarrassed. But, you know, he's had a good run of form, the recovery drives um, in, in Monza, how, you know, he... He was coming back from was it seventeenth, eighteenth, and he, he did a better job of that than Hamilton and and Perez. Um, he was okay in in Spa again. Maybe you'd have expected him to challenge for the win a bit more comprehensively than he he did. But but today was was under underwhelming. But uh, I suppose if you if you're gonna you know we've we've spoken on Verstappen, we uh, touched on touched on Hamilton. Signs didn't have the major whoopsie. He didn't biff it into the barriers. He didn't induce an unnecessary pit stop for that in, in what were clearly treacherous conditions. So sound enough, I suppose you'd say. Sound enough. Yeah, it's a good result, a great result for Ferrari. Two McLaren finishes that uh, they will be delighted about best since uh, Monza uh, when they came home 1-2. Actually, uh, Lando Norris in fourth, Daniel Ricciardo in fifth. Uh, Give that man a drive somewhere next year. Ricciardo and Lando lucked in to safety car timing, but still an immensely difficult a set of conditions. They kept a clean race, and uh, and that is hugely important in their battle, McLaren's battle with Alpine, as both Alpine drivers uh, didn't finish both DNFs uh, today. So when you look at the final standings of the constructors' championship, who would have thunked it? Uh, McLaren ahead of Alpine, 129 plays, 125 coming out of um, Singapore. And nicely in the interviews afterwards, a little bromance between Lando and Ricardo. But of course, uh, that won't last um, very long. With two Alpines retiring uh, with engine troubles, uh, Jess, what if Oscar Piastri was watching the, the race today? I'm sure he was. Where, where was he? Not not in the Alpine garage, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> uh, it was it was one of those days where everything went right for McLaren and everything went wrong for Alpine. So, you know, a mixture of it was was down to performance, but I think a lot of it was down to luck. So, uh, you know, they, they chose, they were the last team, I think, to switch to slicks. Um, and they were able to do that because the safety car fell at the right time. Um, had that not happened, which we love, what, what ifs in Formula One when we're talking about things like this, but... Um, that could have gone the other way, but yeah, they 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 were counting their lucky stars today. That Alpine had such a shocker, um, kind of uh, unfortunate engine problems. But we're we're at the end of the season where we're kind of expecting expecting those things to happen. Um, so yeah, great result for great result for McLaren. They'll be they'll be thoroughly pleased. But to your point, Martin, one Grand Prix does not make. A Grand Prix driver. So whilst Ricardo no. is happy, I'm sure, and the team will be overjoyed with the points haul that they've got, I think the the problem still stands is he qualified uh, P17 was P16 with uh, Russell's demotion to the pit lane, and obviously did end up um, much higher and brought home some well, you know, well wanted points for McLaren. But mm. you know, are we going to see this? Moving forward, probably not. Can I be mean about him some more, Martin? And um, <laughs> please do. Yeah. So obviously he got into the position behind Norris by that that final um, uh, safety car period that allowed about the McLaren to sort of um, stay out and, and pit later than everyone out of sequence, and, and that enabled him him to jump a few places. And then he's on the soft tire, the only runner on a soft tire. Norris is on the medium. So Pirelli estimated the offset between the tires was six tenths. So that means the mediums is six tenths slower than the soft tyre that Ricardo is on. So they pit on lap 36, uh, both of them, and there's only one lap from then on to the remainder of the Grand Prix where Ricardo is faster than Norris. For the rest of it, he's about a second, a second and a half slower than Norris per lap. So if you add that second, this is, you know, silly maths, but if you add that second plus the six tenth tyre offset between compounds, he's arguably a 1.6 seconds a lap average slower than his teammates. So yes, although they finished fourth and fifth, the pace is as bad as we've seen 
you know, throughout any point of the season. So Ricardo's popular. We've seen what he can do before, but you know, as Jess said, it's a good headline result, but it doesn't mean we can throw out everything we've written about something. And yes, he's, he's, you know, he's going to be a, a, a huge casualty that he's not McLaren next season, because again, and okay, yes, you can bring in that, you know, he didn't get the upgrades for this weekend and Norris did. And if you assume that the upgrade is an upgrade and a considerable step forward, that explains some of the gap. That's that's a that's a lot of time to lose per lap to to your teammate. Mm. He, yeah, he came home thirty two seconds behind Lando Norris, and that's with you know safety cars bunching the pack up. Lando Norris's quickest lap today was a one forty nine point two, Ricardo's was a one fifty one zero zero, and that's their fastest laps of the race. So such a big difference between um, those two teammates. But the best result of the year so far for Lance Stroll, bringing home that Aston Martin in sixth, keeping out of trouble, keeping out of the barriers and and bringing the car home, both Aston Martins with Vettel in in eighth as well. So a bit of praise for Lance Stroll, I think. There's a period of time when Vettel was holding off uh, Max Verstappen. That was an interesting part of the race. Couldn't do it towards the end when Max would uh, would get ahead of both Vettel and Hamilton, mainly because of Hamilton. Oh, he was so close to taking a lunge down the inside of Vettel, decided to opt out of it, and then that let uh, Verstappen pass. Um, there was a good part of the race earlier as well, where Alonso was a bit of a roadblock, and Verstappen couldn't get behind until Alonso's Alpine uh, engine expired. The same for Esteban Ocon as well. And, uh, and when they asked um, Alonso after uh, the race as well about some of the upgrades and how the car felt. Yeah, you're asking someone who's not going to be driving that car next year how he feels like the up. He was like, yeah, it's fine. Everything's okay. The car was fine. He doesn't care. He's not driving that car um, next year. Um, So Pierre Gasly came home 10th and getting the final point and uh, for Alpha Tauri. But poor old Yuki with the team next year. um, He's got his drive, but absolutely shunted um, today and he looked really frustrated with himself for doing that in really difficult uh, conditions Uh, but who came home 11th not scoring a point the uh, performance of Valtteri Bottas and the Alfa Romeo um, after an amazing start to the season the season is definitely ending with a whimper rather than a roar there Uh, Kevin Magnussen we've talked about getting that flag to come in and fix that front wing which didn't look too bad to me Uh, and Mick uh, Schumacher really battling for his career and, uh, and, a, and a seat and a drive next year. I think but a gutsy performance today. But ultimately, again, finishing over a lap down in, in 14th. And George Russell, fastest lap of the race today. Uh, final classified finisher in 14th, starting from the pit lane, taking a fourth set of a bunch of engine components. But George, oh, George. I think the best thing George did today was use the word crikey over the radio, which seems to have been picked up by plenty of memes. Um, uh, but apart from that, he, he went to the slicks earlier than everybody else. He, he was running last. He had to. He had nothing to lose. And he was pretty defiant as well when he had terrible. He was three seconds off the pace of, of the next car up the road. Stuck with it. And those, those dry tyres did come to him. Uh, what did George say after the race? Not our finest weekend, he said, but the team did a mega job to resolve our quality issues which combined with our pace in the dry is a big positive. In a long and demanding season, we're bound to have one that doesn't go our way. So once again, George Russell, the ultimate team player, always talks about we, not I. Uh, Yeah, it's a one-off and uh, not long to wait till he's back in the car. Uh, And racing again. Any thoughts on the drivers that I've just mentioned, guys? Feel free to chip in if you've got some thoughts. I can offer a flippant remark on George Russell, which is obviously when he was put onto slicks, he came out of the pits and did that amazing slide at turn three. I was was watching it, thought, oh, he's lost this. This is an absolute spin, but he caught it back. So I trust it to the good people of the internet to slice, you know, the uh, Teriyaki Boys, that theme song from uh, Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift over that, because that was a proper bit of car control. I rated that. The fact he, the, the fact he brought it back and it's still pointing in the right direction was was uh, was proper. Proper indeed. Right. That's our show for today. Now we want to hear from you. Keep the conversation going. Email address for this show is podcast at autosport.com. Uh, you can always reply to us on our socials. We're at autosport. I'm at Mart Lee, M-A-R-T-L-E-E. Uh, Jess is Jess McF1 on Twitter. And Matt is at Matt Q F1, M-A-T-T-K-E-W-F-1. 
Uh, all the things we talked about today, we'd love to hear from you. Yeah, your feedback, your comments, and it won't be long until we are back with another Formula One weekend as F1 heads to Japan on the way next, where the destiny of Max Verstappen's championship is now in his own hands. The gap is now close enough uh, that if he wins the race and gets fastest lap, uh, that second world championship is indeed uh, within his grasp and in his own destiny. Uh, like I say, not relying on other results around him. But we won't have long to wait. Thank you very much for listening to the Autosport Podcast. And um, if you do enjoy this, by the way, I should always mention, quick plug, um, if you are on Apple Podcasts or on iTunes, you can do a little five-star rating review or whatever you think of the show. Um, and also leave a comment. And you can say what you think of the Autosport Podcast. Hundreds of comments on there, which we appreciate uh, every one of those. And it always helps uh, the show get recommended to, uh, to new Formula 1 fans and those that have been around a while as well that are looking for a new podcast to listen to. Thanks for listening. We'll see you soon. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is it. This is the year. Enough dreaming about growing my business online. It's time to get serious about selling. In my style. As big as I want to grow. Because there's nothing I can't do. It's time to get Shopify and take my business to the next level. Whoa, someone's ready to take on the new year. Oh, Oh, I thought I was talking to myself there. But heck yeah, 2023 is my year. That's not your average resolution. That's a revolution. It's, it's a, a new, new year's, year's revolution. revolution. Start selling with Shopify to join the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Packed with industry-leading tools ready to ignite your growth, Shopify gives you complete control over your business and your brand. From templates that make site design simple to customizations that let you grow at your pace, this is possibility powered by Shopify. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash free22. That's shopify.com slash free22. Go to shopify.com to start your New Year's revolution today. Sports Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Jumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Jumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.